Somebody give him some praise this morning. Lord, we love you and we welcome your presence into this place. Hey, we're about to sing a song that's called Pursuit. 
or pursue rather. And as we sing that song, I was thinking about Mary and Martha and the book of Luke in chapter 10 and verse 39, it says this, and she said, or she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her that she should help me, or tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And as we continue to worship this morning, I was thinking about that story, and I was just thinking about how Mary chose to pursue Christ. She pursued, she pursued him by sitting at his feet, and Martha was busy about everything. So as we continue to worship, can we just lay our busyness and everything that we came through those doors with and fully, wholeheartedly pursue the Lord because he's worthy, amen? Let's continue to worship. All right, if you know these words, help him sing them out this morning. Because my eyes to see my King and Majesty, is Your grace compels my soul to love and draw and Cause I.
at your heart cry this morning lord we want more of you more of you lord
to your altar this morning. We thank you that your arms are open wide to receive us, to love on us, to heal us, to save us, to fill us. Lord, I pray for your people that today they would come to your altar, that they would come, Lord, to receive from you. We were praying for the service this weekend and there was two prophetic words. One was that God wanted to heal people's bodies today. And if you're sick in your body, we're going to believe that the prayer of faith will raise you up from the dead, or will heal your mortal body. And the second word was that I felt that there were those here today that were dealing with some shame from the past, dealing with some unforgiveness, some issues from the past, and God wants to bring you freedom and healing today that you would no longer hold on to the past. You would no longer let it be an anchor that kept you back in the old days, but that today freedom would come to you and that you would realize and recognize God's love for you, God's saving power for you. So we're going to call our prayer team down to the front. Whatever you have need of, We'd like to pray with you. But if you're sick in your body, come and get anointed with oil, with oil and let's believe for a miracle. And if you are holding on to something from the past, let's receive forgiveness from it. Let's get freedom from it. And let's see God's hand work in our lives. God bless you as we believe for miracles this morning. If all things up. Your love us the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again. You call your son. Shine on darkest night. The one 
thankful this morning that he saved you amen somebody give him a hand clap of praise he alone is worthy we bless your name jesus hey why don't you go ahead and turn around and greet two or three people this morning tell them i happy you are to see them in the house of the lord Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Breakthrough Prayer is this Sunday, September 18th from 6 to 7 p.m. Join us for a night of prayer and worship in the COTR Sanctuary. There will be a men's retreat at Pine Cove in Tyler, Texas, January 27th through January 29th. Spaces are limited, so register now. Our Sidewalk Sunday School Boombox Blast begins this week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. You can meet at the church at 3.30 if you would like to be a part of this outreach ministry. This Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m., Join churches across the nation to unite in a live simulcast for the first ever National Solemn Assembly. This is a time for us as the body of Christ to gather across racial and denominational lines for one purpose, to lift up the name of Jesus and believe for a national awakening. Speakers will include Pastor Robert Morris, James Robison, Greg Lowry, Max Licato, Dr. Tony Evans, and many more. Child care will be available. Connect class and other equipped classes will still meet. Check with your small group leader to find out if your group is going to attend. everyone. We are really glad you're here and uh, I want to welcome you to our worship service today. A lot of wonderful churches in town and we just want to say thanks that you're here with us. I want to take a minute to introduce some friends, uh, missionary friends from uh, India, the Titus family, uh, Jameson and Johnson. Uh, Their dad, uh, Dr. Titus, started a ministry 35 years ago. It was the first Church on the Rock sponsored as a group uh, missions experience. Uh, They're in India 
and uh, they probably have more influence than any other missions group that we're involved with uh, in the world today. And I want to honor them and welcome them, and they're going to tell us a little bit about what God's doing there, and you'll see some pictures in the background about the ministry. I want to thank you for your prayers and your support for our family, and we're celebrating our 35th ministry anniversary this year, and we want to thank you for your giving to missions, for your help and your support. We're very grateful to you. Uh, four things we're doing in India. The, the core that we have first is training young men and women to become pastors and evangelists. That's our focus. We believe in multiplication. Second area is once they're trained and they're equipped, we want to send them out to pioneer new churches in unreached areas. So we help them start. We give them the tools. We help them in their preparation. Third is that we work with the humanitarian side. There's practical ministry needs there. So we have a small hospital. We have an ambulance, we go out and do a lot of medical camps, we help people, we pray for people, God heals them, and then we also give practical helps there. Fourth area that we're involved in is in the children's ministry. We're able to take the children off the streets of India, break that poverty cycle, give them a Christian education, give them an English medium education, and they're able to change India and become future leaders of India. This is your ministry, this is what you're praying for, this is what you're giving to your missions, and we're very grateful. We wanted to come and say thank you for all that you're doing. God bless you. Yeah, hang on. Um, now, over the 35 years, how many ministers would you estimate have been trained? Now, it's, it's a fully accredited Bible seminary. Your dad had a Ph.D. earned in America, yes. and he wanted to do the same thing there. So how many, how many have been trained uh, at Bible school, seminary, and how many churches have been planted over the years? The seminary gives a bachelor's in theology, master's in theology, and this year one of dad's vision was established to have a Ph.D. program. Wow. So this year we have our Ph.D. program started in missiology. And uh, we have over 2,500 graduates throughout India and throughout the world that are now ministering back and doing something for God in all the different parts of How India. How many churches estimate? Over 250 are in our fellowship within India, but there is thousands more that have been planted through these students of ours that may be independent or they may have affiliation with other denominations or groups. Wow. So we're very, if you have very good fruits abroad. Praise the Lord. We say we're not just sending out seminary graduates. We say we're making ministries. Amen? Yeah. Many of our graduates do bigger and better than we do. And that's our practical principle that we've taught them. Do better and bigger than we are. And we follow Jesus' principle. It's do greater things. Amen? In his name. And we thank God for your faithfulness. We love you for 35 years. You think about that. 35 years God has been faithful. Every day. We have no debt. We have needs, but we have no debt. And as uh, Pastor had shared, when this finances comes, crosses the border, God's miracle. It multiplies every month. We have no one underwriting us, no one saying we're going to give you this much every month, or, you know, just on a contract. It's faithful givers like you that have continuously supported us, but most of all, your prayers. We had challenges two years ago. A cyclone wiped our campus out. But because of your prayers, no one was hurt. Damage happens, but things can be repaired. But we've cleaned up. We're moving on, and God is good. We thank you. God bless you. Now, you're raising funds in America for a project there. Tell us what you're doing. We're, we're praying then, believing that God will provide two buses for the ministry. Our school goes out to the villages around us, and we get about 700 students every morning. And we bring them from the villages back to our campus, and we train them all day. And then we're able to feed them 
take care of them, educate them, and then in the evenings take them back. This year, when my brother went to get the buses re-registered with the government, they told us next year they will not re-register the two buses. So uh, it's a regulation that they have, but they enforce it on Christian organization more than they do on everyone else. So now, what percentage to... Christian, what percentage Hindu? Right now, they're telling between four to six is what we know. The government percent has... Percent Christian. Percent, percent Christian. Christian. The government still, and that's almost 20 years, they've been saying only 2%. They will not change the number. But amongst our fellowship, we know that that's anywhere between six to actually 10, but they won't put it on paper. Praise the that's Lord. 1.2 billion people, 10% of 1.2 billion people. It's a lot of Christians. That's a lot of Christians. Well, anyway, I'd love to have more time. But anytime, in a few, we send them $500 a month from our outreach fund, from your giving. Anytime you want to give to India, just write India on the check. But if you want to give towards these buses, uh, uh, just write bus or India. You can do it now. Do it next week. Put it on your debit card. Whatever the case is, we'll give it to them 100%. Thank We're you. very proud of you guys. We God love bless. you. God bless Thank you. Amen. Just excited to see what the Lord is doing all across the world. And, hey, if you're a parent in here and you have a a child that's in kid zone or you have a teenager in powerhouse, immediately after this service, we're going to have a quick 15 or 20 minute info session. And this is just to kind of take what's going on in the fall, some policies and procedures, and also a chance for you to ask any questions, anything that maybe you have a question about. We want you to connect and we want your students to connect. Amen. Uh, on the back of the screen, there's going to be some pictures of um, some help. Pastor Travis and Pastor Zach went down to Baton Rouge. Uh, tell us a little about it. We did. Pastor Zach and I, we went down. We took a good group last weekend, and a lot of you have seen pictures, and you see pictures here. The devastation by the floods was unbelievable, but we were able to go down there. The church sent us. We took a whole trailer full of supplies. We worked all day and just knocked out sheetrock and helping uh, these families. We prayed for them, and also our church helped three other, uh, three other churches in the Baton Rouge area, and I'm telling you, it's the church that's in these time of crisis, it's the church that reaches out, so thank you so much. Our church sent thousands and thousands of dollars to just bless those people, amen? Amen. Amen. Let's continue uh, with our offering. This scripture in Deuteronomy 14 says, bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Okay, so tithing, first of all, is something to help us stay spiritually fit. It's a discipline where you take 10%, you return it to the house of the Lord, the place you're being fed. And, you know, if you make $100, that's $10 you return. If it's $1,000, it's $100 you return. And it's that you keep the 90%, but when you send that 10% back to him, he blesses that 90%. And I promise you, it goes a lot farther than my 100% on my own. And why would anybody do that, first of all? First of all, God says to, so that's always good to be obedient. But another reason why you want to tithe, it will draw you closer to God. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if I put my treasure or my money toward a hobby, that's where my affections just naturally go because I'm kind of focused on that. And whatever you put first, if it's your money, that becomes important to you. It's like saying, God, you're first in my life when you put him first in your finances. And again, that verse I read, it finished with, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. You know, if you say, God, I want you to be first in my life, but he's last place in your budget, that's a contradiction. And so the Bible teaches us that when you give, that's the antidote for materialism. And, you know, the world says, get, get, get. But what does God say? He loved the world so much that he 
he gave. And so we want to be like that and be givers. And I just thank God I'm a part of a church. Uh, from the time I've been here, over 27 years, this church has always been a, a giving church, whether it's in our community, when a missionary comes here, man, we step out and give. So why don't you give yourselves a round of applause for just being a great church. Amen. Come on, if you know these words this morning, I want you to help us sing it out. If there's no place, I'd rather be. our prayer this morning that more is not just a feeling but more is your will being done your plan being accomplished in our lives and we just invite your presence here in jesus name anybody said amen hey tell your neighbor i'm glad i'm sitting by you today and you may be seated well the next few weeks Literally, we're going to be inundated by political talk. It's going to be everywhere. You'll get tired of it. You'll want to turn it off. But the bottom line, whoever the men and women we elect in November, they're going to affect us and our children and even our grandchildren for days ahead. Whoever is chosen as president will put in place or nominate probably three Supreme Court justices that will determine the future of our country. How many know we're headed in the wrong direction, but God could easily turn us in the right direction? And I want to encourage you, there's spiritual things and practical things to do. Spiritually, Wednesday night, we are uh, become, going to be a part of a national telecast, a solemn assembly, with churches all across America that are simply praying in repentance for God to restore the nation. I want to encourage you that 7 to 9, right here in the sanctuary. But our classes will go on as normal schedule, the kids and youth and all that. But as soon as the class is over, you could come in here. We're going to encourage our life groups, talk among yourselves and decide what you want to do. But it'll be open from 7 to 9. We'll have child care. It'll be a wonderful spiritual experience to set the tone for the future of America. And the second thing to do practically is to vote. Uh, I've read statistics that as high as 60 million Christians didn't vote in the last presidential election. It would only taken 10 million Christians to sway the election, but 30 million were not even registered. We'll make that very easy for you after service today. You can go right in the lobby, sign out, Arkansas, Texas. And how many believe that God could blow once again on America? How many know we need it? Praise the Lord. Praise yeah. All right, turn your Bibles with me. Uh, Genesis 22, we're going to continue a series called Not Your Average Joe. Now, an average Joe, by definition, is simply someone that's like everyone else, uh, a completely average person. 
And of course, our focal point in the series is Joseph, an Old Testament character. But Joseph, uh, an average Joseph, like everyone else, but God wants us to be extraordinary. He wants us to go beyond average, to be exceptional, to stand out in the crowd, like the valedictorian in a high school or a college graduation. When they share the GPA of a young woman, a young man, how many know it's an exciting thing to see someone that's excelled academically? Uh, did you ever see the movie called McFarlane? Not many. Anybody see it? Oh, I watch it a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a true story. It's a sports movie, but uh, it's uh, centered in McFarland, California. Uh, Kevin Costner is a coach, and he goes to this school. It's kind of a last place to be. You know, he didn't do good in the other places. But here he is in McFarland, and he's kind of at the bottom of the totem pole. It's a farming community. It's nothing but migrant workers that go to the school. It didn't get much attention. But one scene shows him driving his car down the road, and this kid is running out in the field, and he just is in shock at how far and how fast this kid's going. Well, lo and behold, uh, true story, he started uh, a, a, a cross-country team there in McFarland, and they went on that year to win the state championship in all of California. But there was this one young man that he was very pivotal in that he saw, he reached out to, and this young man became extraordinary and was the fastest runner in the state of California that year. So how many know that's what extraordinary means? It means to stand out, to be different than anyone else. Not different in terms of uh, the way I look outwardly by dress, but my character and my life accomplishments. And, and that's what we're talking about because God, I believe, would have us to live an extraordinary life. And this morning's message, I've entitled it, Pass the Test, because extraordinary people, well, all of us will face tests in life. Tests are different types of challenges, and this challenge could either stop us or it could be a stepping stone to the next phase of our life. So let's explore it together. I, I want to begin, before we go in Joseph's life, I, I want to look at one of his ancestors, Abraham, about this idea of testing. Because testing is a, 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 a spiritual test will reveal our character. It will reveal what we really believe. Now here, Genesis 22, it's 50 years after God promised Abraham that he would become a, 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 the father not only of a child, a promised child, but literally of generations. Uh, Genesis 22, uh, the Hebrews call it the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. But the words begin this way. It says, sometimes later... See, when I do that, that means I want you to tell me what's on the screen. Yeah, there you go. How about it? Now, I'll, I'll have to, uh, uh, I'll preach quicker if you'll just respond quicker and help me know we'll, we'll have a better time that way. God tested Abraham. Now, if you're a teenager here today or if you remember your teenage years, what would you say if the teacher comes up in class one day and announces a test tomorrow? What do kids say? Yeah, you know it. <laughs> Nobody likes it, but a test is not always a bad thing. Because again, a test, as we understand it, is, is it reveals what's on the inside of us. God tested Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him on a mountain I will show you. Now again, this is condensed, the whole chapter. But let me underscore, uh, God never intended that he would take this child's life. Child sacrifice has never been a part of the, of the Jewish religion. Uh, 
It was a part of one of the uh, uh, cults in Canaan. They would sacrifice their child to the god Molech. They would heat this idol, this statue, uh, hot, and they would put babies on it, if you can imagine that, to appease their gods. It's never been a part of the, of the Judeo-Christian heritage, but it was, a, it was a test. Again, this child had been promised uh, 50 years ago. He'd had this child, and this child is probably in his teenage years. He's supposed to be the promised one, and now everything in his mind is telling him this can't be. Verse 10, though, he obeys. He took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know. That that doesn't imply that God's knowledge was limited prior to the time, but this test revealed his character. How many parents have asked your kids, How's school going? What do they say? Good. Good. How's math class? Good. Uh, Any tests lately? No. Are you going to have one this week? Yes. What day? Friday. Friday they come home. How'd you do in your math test? Mom, you sure are a great, great mom. I am so glad to be your daughter or your son. Uh, How'd you do in your math test? It's supposed to rain tomorrow. You know what? But I'm going to wash your car today anyway. How'd you do, babe? A 40. Now, how many know you don't know much about math when you made a 40? But if you made 96 and set the curve, how many know all that test did was show what was inside of you, what's your knowledge of math? That's what this did to Abraham. God said, I know you fear God because you've done this. I will surely bless you. Here's what's on the other side of the test. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Again, a spiritual test reveals the nature of our character. It shows what we really believe. Every high school student understands the importance of the ACT, SAT. You've got to have a certain uh, a, a score to get in college, to get into the school. But a great example of this idea of a test, if you've seen the movie Courageous, it was a Christian film. And one of the characters in the film was a Hispanic man. And he was working at a factory. You could tell he had not been to America long. And, and, and he was working hard, walking to work, eager, to, eager on the job. And, and his boss comes to him, and unbeknownst to him, he's looking for a supervisor, and he's, I think, the sixth one that was interviewed or something like that. But anyway, uh, he, he asked the man if he wants a job. He said, yes, sir, I'd love to have the job. More money? Oh, yeah, I'd love to have it. But the, he shut the door. The owner looked at him and said, we have a problem sometimes. Sometimes the actual, what we ship out is not the same that the paperwork says. And periodically, I'll need you to just change the paperwork a little bit to make them match. He said, I want you to think about that tonight and tell me tomorrow if you're able to do that for me and I'll make you the supervisor. Well, unbeknownst to the Hispanic man, it was a test. He goes home that night and he tells his wife and she said, oh, honey, you can't lose your job. What will we do? How will we pay the bills? How will we survive? But he, the next morning he comes to work and he goes in the boss's office and he said, I am so honored that you would consider me for this job, but I cannot take this job because my heart, my conviction is that I must tell the truth. And all of a sudden, the owner of the company gets a big smile on his face. He looks at his partner standing there and he extends his hand to him and says something like this. He said, I've interviewed six people and you're the first honest person that's walked in my room. I'm happy to give you this job. We're going to pay you more money. Welcome to, our, you know, welcome to this new level of management. Well, unbeknownst to him, it was a test. It's not just to feel good. but So when we're talking about spiritual tests, this is what we're talking about this morning. They have the potential to be a stepping stone for promotion. 
Now, some tests, clearly, God tests us sometimes. Oftentimes, Satan is behind the test, and sometimes tests just happen because we, we live in this earth. Bottom line, it doesn't matter why the test is there. What matters is how we respond. Now, let's begin. I'm going to begin with Joseph now. We're going to look at three tests that he passed, major tests to live an extraordinary life. And the first test is he passed what I'm going to call the test of silence. Now, we found some video footage. I think it was taken by a drone in ancient Egypt. Their technology was such to build the, uh, the, te- the uh, pyramids. So it's the only joke I had today, see? The only funny thing I had to say right over your head. But anyway, show the drone footage there of ancient Egypt and Joseph in this test of silence. Brothers! Chance you'll ever have to be done with him. That's right. To assume our rightful place once the old man's gone. Just do it. Just do it. Your minds. You can't spill a brother's blood. Have you thought of the curse which will fall upon us if we do this? Stop it. Stop it now before it's too late. Stop what? Ignore him. Don't speak to boys who come to work in grooms' clothing. We come in search of more tales to tell. Father wants a report, and he thinks I'm the one to do the job. He told me. Forget what he told you. You report on me, and it'll be the last thing you do! Simeon! I'll do as Father instructed. Simeon, stop it! I'll do as Father tells me, and your warning smells of too much water. Much love in that family, huh? Let me read the biblical account, just a few verses. Uh, Joseph's jealous brothers, uh, they said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe. Now, verse 24 is what we're going to focus on. They took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Now, this pit, whether it was a water well or just a, a, a crevice in the earth, It was a deep, dark, empty place. And I suggest to you that when the sound of the brothers went away, when they walked away, and Joseph was by himself, I want to suggest to you there was an eerie silence in that pit. And not just a silence from his surroundings, but I suggest to you it is probable that God was also silent at this moment in his life. When we go through crises in life, sometimes we're very much aware of God's presence. Sometimes we kind of understand, we feel close to God. But other times, it feels like we pray and nothing happens and we don't understand why this is happening. When my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, I can remember the first 10 days. It was the most, some of the most troubling times of our life. We didn't understand. We, didn't, you know, we were confused. We didn't know where to go for help. Uh, we didn't know if she was going to live or die, what kind of treatment. And it seems like we were just kind of like unsettled. But I can remember, it was about the 10th day. I was just reading as I do every day of my life. I was just reading my Bible in an obscure verse. I believe it was in the book of Samuel. And this phrase, not a healing verse, but it was a phrase that said, all is well. And it's like I wasn't thinking about Linnell when I read it. But it's like in the midst of the 10 days of silence, God spoke. 
And I, I had a sense that the Lord is still for us. He's not going to forget us. And it's like the, the, the silence and darkness dissipated. And God was with us as we walked through that journey. But this times of silence, we all have them. We ask God, where is he? Why is this happening, God? Psalm 42, the psalmist said this. Sometimes I ask God, yeah, why did you let me down? Why am I walking around in tears? Anyone can say I've been there before. Yeah, it, it, This question of why is tormenting. Uh, most of the time it's unanswerable, but it's worse if you feel like God is silent. How many know you can ask God a question, but you can't make Him speak? I have a friend of mine, a, a good friend of mine. He's pastored a little longer than I have. Recently his wife died about two weeks ago of brain cancer. Well, I want to tell you, he's trying to recover now. He's trying to heal, but he's in a test. And his church is in a test. Because how do we reconcile a good God and something bad happened to someone that's, you know, supposed to be a good man, a, a preacher, I mean, somebody close to God? I mean, there's this kind of unspoken sense that we have that the closer to God, the, the less problems I'm going to have. The closer to God, the, 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 the more favor I'm going to have. It's a feeling we have. We can see it biblically. Uh, my dad kind of believed this a number of years ago. I remember I went back to see him and having lunch with, uh, with all his buddies. And uh, after lunch, they would flip. And whoever lost the flip would, uh, would have to pay the bill for everybody. And he's thinking, well, I got my preacher son with me today. Surely I'll win. Guess who lost that day? <laughs> you know, we can just live on the side of, of, of the promises of God's blessing and pretend like these why questions aren't there. But if we're honest with the whole Bible, we'll see that God is a good God. He blesses people. Come on. But oftentimes, there's a question of why. Abraham asked it before he had his child, before he had this final test. Abraham even tried to help God and have a child through, uh, 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 through a concubine. And this, this child, Hagar, was or Hagar had the baby. Ishmael was born. And Ishmael is the father of all uh, 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 of, the, uh, of, the, of the Mediterranean, the Muslim people that are the not Jewish people. All, uh, all the Arabs stem from Ishmael as well as the, uh, the sin in, in the cave uh, when, when, when Lot was fleeing, from, uh, was, was fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham is responsible for the mess that's over there because he couldn't figure out why God wouldn't hurry up and answer his, his prayer. This silence is, is a test. It's easy to talk about it if you're not in it, but if it's been there for a while, it's, it's a tough one. Job helps us with this. Job is a great example. We see the book of Job, and, and many scholars believe the whole book of Job is three or four years in, in, in the experience. But Job experienced this silence, but his faith kept him connected to God. Uh, Satan killed his children. You remember the story? Stole all his wealth. And in the first chapter before Job had any concept of what was happening, he said this, The Lord gave me what I had. The Lord's taken it away. This is sovereignty. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job didn't sin by blaming God. And I want to tell you this, friends. The key to passing the test of silence is that we continue to believe God. Amen. Come on. We continue to pray. We do like Job did. We continue to praise God. We're not praising God because we're happy, but we're praising God, come on, because He is still good, because He is still in control, because God, come on, is the ultimate uh, one that's in charge of the universe, and He's my heavenly Father, and He's a good heavenly Father, and He's not turned His back on me, so I'm going to give Him praise. Come on, the situation's not good, but God is good. Come on, give Him a good hand this morning.
It is the test of silence that has taken many, many of us out. Here's a second test. It is about to become extraordinary, we've got to pass the test of temptation. The test of temptation. Let me show you another little, uh, some video footage uh, of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The test of temptation. Mistress? Joseph. I thought we understood each other. Oh, I understood you. But I think you misjudged me. So, I've decided to give you a second chance. Stop! think she was melancholy. What do you think? The test of temptation. It's read in the scripture, Genesis 39. Potiphar saw that the Lord made Joseph successful. Again, Potiphar, he's the chief of staff of Pharaoh, the ruler of the land. Uh, the Lord made Joseph successful in everything he did. He put Joseph in charge of his house. Joseph, well-built and handsome. And after some time, the wife of Joseph's master began to desire Joseph. And she said, have sexual relations with me. But Joseph refused. Listen now. He said, how can I do such an evil thing? It is a, yeah, it's a sin against God. Now, more than likely, Joseph was attracted to her. More than likely, you know, she was a beautiful woman. Uh, in our modern culture today, uh, it, the question would have been, hey, what's the big deal? Now, next week, we're going to talk about boundaries. And extraordinary people have boundaries in life. We'll use this as an example but this was more than just a few minutes of pleasure. It was a test of character to see if he would remain loyal to God when no one was watching. Now, all of us in this room today face temptation. Temptation comes to us. It seems innocent. It seems pleasurable. But when, it leads, when temptation causes us to sin against God, it causes a lifetime of pain. How many can say, I understand that? Uh, Adam and Eve, remember the serpent told them in the garden, if you'll just take a bite... You'll be wise. You'll be as smart as God. God, God. God's withholding from you. Just take a bite. Now, God had set a boundary for them, and he'd given them a perfect life. But she had to decide if she was going to stay in it or go out of it, and the tempter pulls us in. Maybe you're working somewhere, and you handle a lot of cash. And you look around, and you see the nice car that the boss drives. You even see other people make more money than you do. And you, in your mind, you have these thoughts. You say, well, this must be discrimination. Don't they know how hard I work? Don't they know I deserve more money? And you see somebody come in with new shoes and you don't have them and something just builds inside you and something just said, nobody will know it if you take $20. Well, or maybe they've got a place for the 20s and they've got a place for the 100s, but they didn't have room for 50s because you don't get many. So what if you just take the 50 and you go out and buy the shoes and then nothing happens? Or better yet, you're in, you're, you're in, you're in Cabello's. 
and you pass the duck collar exhibit. It's an altar. Listen, I mean, it's not like the $20 ones on the wall. I'm talking about the $150 ones there, buddy. And it's locked for a reason. It's locked because people want to try it out and then... I need to change the subject. <laughs> Temptation is never as good as it promises to be. It'll always promise you happiness, but in the end, it'll bring you pain. It might go on for years, but it'll get you. Here's a promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Listen to the promise. It says, God is faithful. In the midst of this pool, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now that's true or it's false. I mean, believe that's true. So as intense as the pool is, whether it's money, whether it's sexual, whether it's, you know, you're doing office, pol I mean, whatever it may be that you're trying to get something, God won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you're tempted, He will show you a way out. The ESV, English Standard Version, says a way of escape so you can endure it. And that's what we saw Joseph did. When Joseph walked away, he was, what he was doing is he was walking away from the temptation because he didn't want to sin against God, come on, because it would bring destruction in his life. And I want to tell you, friends, you and I experience temptation every day of our lives. It is a temptation not to hit the... Listen, you can be just reading something on the Internet and all of a sudden some seductive person has walked across the page. And it just tries to pull you into its trap. And my friend, I want to tell you, the devil is behind it just like he was behind what happened in the Garden of Eden. But how many know there's a good God that says, I'll provide a way of escape if you'll just ask me and you look for it. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. I want to do this before we go to the, to the, to the next point. Uh, I felt the Lord speak to me yesterday through a word of knowledge that we needed to take just a moment now and just ask the Lord before we forget about this, because some of us are being set up right now, and the devil's trying to pull you and take away the good thing and make you fail the test. Could we just bow our head just a moment, and nobody looking around, but for just, just in a moment of time, how many know, I need to call this temptation thing an enemy and not a friend. And as long as it's something that still it seems to be pleasurable, and it's good, and nobody will know, I'm being set up on a slippery slope. But the minute I say, this is not my friend, this is an enemy, this is going to destroy me, and I'm not going to do this. I'm going to keep my vows to my wife. I'm going to keep my vows of purity. I'm going to keep my vows of honesty and integrity. And I don't care. Other people may tell me everybody else signs the form. That's just what we do around the office. We get more money. It's government. They're never going to find out. Listen, friends, if the, Lord, if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in your life that you're struggling with right now, and you simply want to say, Lord, I want you to show me the way of escape and give me the grace to go through it. Just slip up your hand right now. Nobody looking around, nobody's business. But I want you to just reach out to God. That's right, nobody looking around. Even if you just kind of wave your fingers or something. <laughs> Somehow, simply to agree with the Holy Spirit right now. Now, Lord, for all of us, I just want to pray that you would help us find the way of escape. You said it was there, and I pray that you would help us have the, have the, 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 the courage to walk away from that thing just like Joseph did in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let me look at the third test, and it's a very different type of test. The first test of silence is one, the, the test of temptation. 
But this third one is extraordinary people pass the test of success. Now, let's stay with this one. The test of success, Genesis chapter 41. Contextually, Joseph now has interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He's still a slave. He's still in prison. But, he, um, I, but I'm sorry, he got out of prison and he's interpreted Pharaoh's dream about the future. And then Scripture says, Pharaoh says to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. <laughs> Listen to this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Now, how would you like for someone to say to you, I put you in charge of the Arklatex. <laughs> you could, we could fix things, huh? I mean, with no Congress and no commissioners and none of I put you in charge, and how many know a dictator could do that? He's the second in charge, the vice president, and listen to this. He dresses him up in fine linen clothing and a huge gold chain around his neck. And I guarantee you that wasn't bling that they got for $5.99. A huge gold chain around his neck, and wherever Joseph went, listen, the command was shouted, kneel down. You're not a slave anymore. You're Mr. Joseph. And whenever you come in the room, people stand up. Something is different about you. Maybe we showed some pictures of him. But just like this, he's been promoted. And I'll suggest to you, this is a different type of test. When you're a slave in prison, how many know you're desperate just to struggle to survive and you'll pray about everything? Uh, maybe you can relate to this. How many know when there's more bills at the end of the month than money? When you started a new venture and it's not going the right way and you feel pressures in your life, how many know it's easy to be humble and seek after God? You know, you know that if you don't come up with the payment and they're going to take your vehicle away, you get pretty serious about praying. You depend on God in times of struggle. But this is a different type of test. It is the test of success. It involves pride. It involves a feeling of I'm self-sufficient now. I don't need anybody's help. I'm the smartest one. I'm the one that people go to for answers. Uh, it, it has the potential to where you can misuse power. Because they call you sir, because they call you ma'am, you can manipulate people. You can throw people away at will. You can treat people like dirt and they can't do anything about it. Because now the test of success is in place. You sign their check. You have independence. You, if you're not careful, you can take credit for what God has done. And this is all across our society. This is the business woman who, who, who reaches through the, the, the comp competitive edge and now she's kind of at the top of the totem pole. It could be someone that's a professional. You could be, you could be a, a, a world-class surgeon. Uh, you were once one of the interns and now you're the person that everybody looks to and everybody hangs on your word. It could be the head of the quality assurance department at Cooper Tire. It's the person that decides whether or not this batch of tires goes out. They decide whether or not we're going to stay in the union. They decide whether they're going to determine people's future. Come on, how many know there's power behind that voice? It can be the young man that when he was in the, you know, the eighth and ninth grade, he dreamed about being a high school quarterback. And now he's in the 10th the grade and he's praying about being the quarterback. Well, not only does he make the team, but before you know it, he's a superstar. And in the 11th or 12th grade, he's the Mikey that they give the ball to and he shoots the three with 10 seconds to go and he wins the game almost every time. Something happens with the test of success. When we come to a place in life where we don't have to look at the budget, we just buy it because we want it. Now, how many know success is a wonderful thing? We all aspire to it. The Bible talks about success. Joshua 1.8 says, if you follow God's word, he told Joshua, and do what I say, I'll make you to be successful. But I want to tell you, there is an inherent test in success that has the potential to destroy our life. 
I had somewhat of an arm length, uh, arm length friend several years ago. He was, a, he was a pastor. 30 years ago, he was pastoring a church, literally 10,000 members in it. And somebody asked me today, recently, about a week ago, whatever happened to him, and today he didn't even pastor a church. Something can happen to us. I asked a mutual friend that knew the story kind of behind the scenes, and here's what he said, very smart man. He said, well, I'll tell you what happened. The air gets thinner the higher you go up the mountain. Now, if you've ever climbed a mountain, it's, it's called uh, altitude sickness. You get dizzy, not as much oxygen in the air. Uh, you don't think clearly. And what he was saying to me is this preacher man became successful. He lost something. He lost his dependence on God. He lost his humility. He began to listen to the wrong people. It be, began to become more important what was the name inside of his suit how much his shoes cost, come on, than how many, how many minutes or hours he spent in prayer. But it's not just the preacher. It's all of us. The test of success is what we all strive for and we all hope for. It's the blessing of the Lord. Scripture says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. But somehow we can shift focus. As we climb the mountain of success, money can turn our heads from God. Power and influence can make us think too highly of ourselves. Here's a great example of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's Daniel chapter 4. He was a pagan man that God had exalted to a position so he could be strategically used to advance God's purposes. But here's what he did. He built this great city, Babylon, and he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city. Now, this is not in any way to take away from personal effort. Because listen, friend, you're not going to be successful in life if you don't work. You're not going to be successful if you don't pay the price, if you don't have character. Come on now. If you don't go to school, if you don't get the education, if you, you've got to do your part. But it's like a bird's wings. You've got God's part and your part. God's not going to do it if we don't. But if we think this is going to happen without God, that's when we get in trouble. There was a political kind of a... a, a Oh, it was a controversy a while back. And it was, it was basically where we had some politicians saying, uh, you didn't build that. And they were talking about your personal business and how, you know, how government helps and roads and all those things. I'm not in any way diminishing the effort that you and I put forth to become successful. But what I'm saying is this. Don't, let's never get to the place where we think that we're making it fly. I built it by my power. I built the city, my residence, to display my majestic splendor. And all of a sudden, a voice called down from heaven. It said, you're no longer ruler of this kingdom. You're going to live in fields with wild animals until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and He gives it to anyone He chooses. I mean, no, God could take anyone and put in the pulpit of this church. He didn't have to have me. He could take anyone to do what you do. There's something about humility that helps us. There's an, anti there's an antidote for altitude sickness that will keep us from becoming proud when we're successful. And the Bible calls it humility. Listen to this, Acts 17, 28. In Him, in Jesus Christ, we live, come on, and move and have our being. What does that mean? That means every good thing I have, everything I'm able to do is because of the goodness of my Savior. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. 
One of the most amazing things to me are medical professionals. For, to take a surgeon, for example, a surgeon that's going, able to go in and, and fix a heart problem. There's a little boy in our church, uh, John David, and, and when he was an infant, he was diagnosed with something. It was, I can't remember what it was. But the doctors in Little Rock kept that child there for weeks and weeks and weeks. I went to see, listen, his body cavity was opened up, and now this kid is excelling in everything he does, smartest in his class, high IQ. But these men and women had an ability to take a scalpel, listen, to prescribe medicine, to understand the human body. But what happened if that surgeon's hand began to shake? You ever had your hand shake and you can't stop it? What would happen if you lost your eyesight? Even though you have the aid of, uh, of some magnifying potential, what would happen if you lost your eyesight? Or you lost your ability, the dexterity in your hands, or, or, or even the next breath that we breathe? And this is the point in all of this. The higher we up we go, the more money we make. Let's never forget that God is the one behind it. Because it is the test of success that I'm dealing with. And it was the test of success that Joseph was able to pass. And God used him in an extraordinary way to do what God promised he would do when he was a young boy of 17. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's, he's worthy, worthy of praise. I'm going to close with this. And it's this statement. Whenever we're tested... Satan tries to make us fail that test. Now, as I said earlier, Genesis 22, we know that God tests people. We know sometimes Satan, in Job's case, is behind it. Sometimes, you know, just our own being human beings, sometimes we make mistakes. But it doesn't matter why it's happening. Here's something that I have learned from experience. Shortly after Linnell uh, had her bout with cancer, and praise God, she saw her oncologist a couple weeks ago, and she's cancer-free. So I, I rejoice. I rejoice with that. But shortly after she got better, I had a little breakdown. I was having panic attacks. I didn't understand what was going on in my body. It's like I had pushed myself for so many years, and my body was just saying, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. There was a real physical thing going on inside of me that the doctors somehow understood, but a pill couldn't fix. Come on, thank God for the pills, but sometimes they're not enough. The counselor helped me, but I didn't have the willpower and the ability to just do what they said. And it became spiritual. And here's where the spiritual thing came in. I'm off. I took, took a couple months off. And as I'm in the midst of a sabbatical, Satan whispers in my ear, you're not going to be able to preach your son's wedding in two months. And every day I'd just be thinking, am I going to be able? I couldn't do it today. I'd hear this voice that would say, that would say you're not going to ever be able to return to the pulpit. You're going to have to have another career. You're going to lose your house. See, attacks somehow open a door or a window and it becomes spiritual. Here's what the scripture says. How we respond when Satan comes against us. Ephesians 6, 11. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? The powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he gives us a picture of a Roman soldier. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes... This is the test. You may be able to do what? Stand your ground. Now, picture that Roman soldier girt in all of, his, all of his armor standing there with shield and sword ready for the attack. You remember when you used to play football and you knew somebody was coming at you. You know, you'd put your feet right and you'd get ready and us skinny guys would just kind of have to get a little lower. But you would step into it. You would stand. But then he says it again. Stand your ground. And after you've done everything, do what? He says, think about the test. 
Stand firm the third time, and there's even a fourth time where he uses this word, stand, 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 stand. And what does it mean? To stand, by definition, means be steady in your faith and don't waver. And then he talks about the armor of God, about truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God in prayer. All types of adornment for defense and for offense. Be steady in your faith and don't waver. And that's the word of the Lord to you today. When you are in a trial in any fashion, when your faith is being tested, you've got to hunker down, come on, and you've got to fight it. If it's coming out and you can see it, you've got something. I couldn't see anything. I would be assaulted in my mind from the time I woke up in the morning to the time I went to bed at night. The only reprieve I got is when I was asleep, and thank God I slept well. But I'm telling you, I had to learn to realize that the battle was in my mind. And the Bible says that I had to take authority. I had to cast down vain arguments and every thought that's against the knowledge of God. I literally had scriptures that I would write down every day and I would stand on the Word. And in the, I couldn't trust my feelings. My feelings were lying to me and I had to believe that God was for me and God was not against me. And even though, listen, I didn't feel I was going to be able to be back in the pulpit, I had to believe God. I got out of bed one morning and I remember it was just like it was, it, there was a voice and it was so profound it almost looked around the room, but it, it wasn't. But it was the voice of the Lord in my spirit. And it said this, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And what it said to me is it said, when you come back to a place of capacity, then you use what's happened to you to be able to help other people. And what that did, that gave me a hope. Come on. That gave me a hope. It's like a life preserver in the midst of the ocean, in the midst of a pond, and you cannot swim. It gave me something to hold on to. And I want to tell you, God is a good God. And I'm standing before you today telling you that the test may be difficult, but God is greater. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Come on. Give him one more praise today. I'm, I, I'm done this morning. Why don't we stand to our feet and, and, and we want to have a closing prayer this morning. I'm so glad you came today. It was good this morning, wasn't it? Hey, you know, we've got more room on Sunday first service and Saturday night. And I want to encourage you as our worship team's coming, if you're a parent, any age child in the church, infant all the way to teenager, stay with us about 10 or 15 minutes after, after church. We want to have a little uh, uh, talk to you about some things, uh, about what we're doing for your kids. If you hadn't registered to vote, do that on the way out. Arkansas and Texas, you know, tonight, 6 o'clock, our prayer time. That big thing, Wednesday, it's 7 to 9 right here as we solemn assembly for America. But all that aside, just a second, can you just do this with me just a minute? Let's just put all that aside. Put the restaurant aside just a second, wherever you're going. And could we make just a couple minutes for a God moment? You see, it's one thing that the Bible says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be what? Be a doer. I want to encourage you to act on what God has said to you today. Something that you feel within my voice, the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. I want you to say yes to the Lord. If you're here today and you'd like for someone to pray for you, we'd be honored to pray for you. Maybe you're in the test of silence right now. We want to pray with you. It could be temptation. It could be the test of success. It could be something, whatever it is. But if you just feel a need to connect with God, we'd be honored to pray for you for just a moment right after the service. But the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your personal walk with God. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my big problem is I'm just not right with God. I've been there. I was raised in church, but how many of going to church doesn't make you a Christian? 
You know, it's a good thing you can read your Bible and still not go to heaven. W what makes you a Christian is when you receive Christ as your Savior. What makes you a Christian is when you walk away from your past and start walking to Jesus. It's when you turn your heart to follow Him. I'm glad my mom made me go to church, but I'm telling you, friends, I had to make a decision at 19 years of age that the life I'd been living was not the life I wanted to live. I knew God had something better for me. And what was missing in my life was making Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you have walked with Christ in the past and just gotten away from God, but you felt His presence, the love of God pulling you back today. I want to encourage you, make a step to Christ. We're going to sing one last song and then dismiss. And in just a moment, our prayer team is going to come to the front. And if you want prayer for anything, you just come. But if you want to commit your life to Christ, meet someone over here at this cross on your right. And I promise you, you do your part to come to Christ. He'll do his part to give you the life that he created you to live. Let's begin to sing right now. Our prayer team is making their way to the front. They're going to come and they're going to be here for you. If you want prayer for anything, just slip out of your chair. Someone will be here for you. But most importantly, if you need to get right with God, don't put it off another day. Meet us at the cross. I love you very much. Thanks for coming today. The old things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant That we thought are breathing in life again. You hold your sun to shine on darkest night. All that you've done. prayer team's going to remain around front. They'll be happy to pray with you about anything. Hey, we've got a parent meeting. Don't want you to forget about to hang around for, but also prayer tonight at 6. Love to have you be a part. God bless you. Jesus, we love you.